You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day. At Whole Foods Market. Liverpool have finally stepped out from the shadows to win their first league title in 30 years. After the pain of we don't let this slip and I want to talk about facts, the Reds are back on their perch. Now you've been bombarded with stories over the past few days about how they did it. From the takeover of FSG to the arrival of Jurgen Klopp to the near miss of 97 points last season. So instead, we're gazing into the future to ask what happens next. Now, it's a delight to be joined by Liverpool connoisseurs, Tony Evans and Paul Hassel. If you sat at home wondering why this title matters so much, let me point you in the direction of Tony's brilliant long read on Eurosport.co.uk titled, When You Walk Through a Storm, Why This Really Does Mean More for Liverpool. Now, Tony, I really enjoyed that piece. Welcome to the pod. How are you today? Oh, I'm all good. You couldn't fail to be good in a week like this. <laughs> Guessing that you've already shown your allegiance then 30 seconds into the podcast. Yeah, well, I think, you know what? People talk about journalism and they talk about, uh, you know, sort of supporting clubs. And for me, if you're writing about football, if you're a football journalist, you should support a club. It's important. It's it's one of those things. If you don't care and you don't support a club, well, it would be very strange to me. The, the thing is, you've got to be able to put aside your fandom when you're actually writing about the game, there are times when you'll write pieces from the perspective of being a fan, but most of the time, you know, you're objective about it. And I don't see any issue about that. Every football journalist, no, every good football journalist cares passionately about a club. Most of them don't like people to know, but I don't care. (laughs) Superb. I mean, I do care mainly because I'm a Tottenham fan and it's utterly miserable time at the moment for us. Um, Paul, We've emailed back and forth now for the best part of a decade. You've built a reputation as one of Eurosport's most reliable freelancers. It's nice to finally see the face behind the email. So welcome. How are you doing? I am good. Yeah, I am obviously delighted that we've ended 30 years. I remember coming back from Cub Camp when we last won the league. So it was obviously uh, great to see Liverpool win the league. So obviously I'm a Liverpool fan, used to work at LFC and stuff. So uh, yeah, no, feel great. Um, brilliant to see. Uh, always felt Klopp was the man for LFC. Um, remember having many conversations with, you know, friends and people who work in the media and stuff about where we could go. And I, ne- I never quite felt Rogers was the man and it, maybe we might come on to that and kind of things. But when Klopp was appointed, I, I, I genuinely felt like, wow, what a great appointment for Liverpool Football Club. What a, what a brilliant guy to bring in. And felt that straight away with some of the results we got. And yeah, we maybe didn't have the results in terms of league standings and things and cup final results in those years that followed his, his appointment and things. But I genuinely uh, was excited by his appointment. And, you know, obviously we're seeing the, the dividends of that now. 
Now, before we dive into the world of Jurgen Klopp, the blueprints for Liverpool's future, we do need to mention the scenes in Liverpool, particularly those at Pierhead at the weekend. Uh, the club, Merseyside Police, Liverpool City Council and Spirit of Shankly released a joint statement calling some fan behaviour wholly unacceptable. So firstly, I just wanted your takes on those celebrations, really. Well, it was absolutely stupid, wasn't it? I mean, you know, we, we, one of the things early on in this lockdown, football began to be politicised. You know, you had Matt Hancock talking about Premier League players. I don't know what they were supposed to be doing, but should be bailing out the country. You've had, you know, the, the, the Conservative Party in particular always politicise football because they see it as, you know, young men making money out of playing a kid's game. They don't recognise the high level of skill you need. And, and football fans have been demonised through the years. You know, the demonisation of football fans set up the environment where Hillsborough could happen and that 96 people could die because of the failure of the authorities. And yet the whole country, for the most part, were willing to accept that it was the fault of the football fans who, in fact, were blameless. You know, and what this does, it just plays into all the preconceptions, especially during a pandemic. It would be stupid enough to go out. I mean, it didn't help the fact that the government, the people who made the rules, have been bending the rules from the start. And um, it didn't help that. You know what? The, the mayor of Liverpool, Joe Anderson, the um, you know, Merseyside Police, the club, and the spirits of Shankly should have met this time last week and issued a statement saying, you know, don't do it, people. But you know what? Uh, Joe Anderson made his statement at the wrong time. You know, back in uh, when the lockdown was, was full on in a very different environment, he was talking about uh, they should wrap up the league and make it null and void because people would pour out into the streets. When he said it, we were on full lockdown. We had near to Dominic Cummins. We had near to George Floyd. You know, it was it was um, a, a different situation. Did he speak out last week? No, he didn't. When basically there is no lockdown. There was no lockdown at all last week. You know, everything's changed. But, you know, even the pubs are open in Liverpool, selling to um, to selling to you know outside sales and all that. So what did anyone expect to happen? Even so, it's blindly stupid. If you're a Liverpool fan, you went out last week, you deserve a kick up the jacksy. Yeah, I mean, I can only can only echo what Tony said. I mean, um, my personal perspective on it is obviously we need to just make sure we kind of obey the lockdown and stuff and make sure that we're doing the right things. And I was really disappointed to see that. You know, obviously when Liverpool win a trophy, we, we see lots of people turn out. Uh, in a city centre to see to see them bring a parade back. So it was only a minority in terms of Liverpool fans in that sense. But yeah, massively disappointed really to see that happen. Um, I think you know, as the club have come out and condemned that a little bit, and and hopefully going forward we 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 you know put an end to that kind of thing, and we do it as Klopp has said, you know, when the time is right. From, from here but yeah really really disappointed to see it happen per- personally from my own from my own experience and my own personal view on it yeah Klopp come out last week and said you know stay in yeah and he's the only one who showed any sort of leadership in this you know but whether whether we like it or not Liverpool fans have a greater responsibility than anyone else because of our history to behave to behave properly. Yeah. And you know what? Oh. Those who turned out last week, those who did this, they have let down the Hillsborough Justice campaign. They've let down us all, and I'm appalled by it. And you know what? It, it's it, it's it's just 
the level of stupidity is disgusting. It's allowed. All those people who've, and you see it on Twitter, all those people who've said, yeah, well, we really know what happens at Hillsborough. You know, it's been, yeah, it's been a cover-up. Yeah, they've covered it up in, in favour of the fans. That's how it works. Um, but, but it's allowed them, the Hillsborough deniers, it's allowed them to come out the closets and it's allowed, it, it, it's going to allow in the future conservatives and people like that to, to bash football fans. And you know what? No one cares that Bournemouth Beach was rammed yeah, you know, on, on the Tuesday, which was an obvious sign that this is all falling apart, the lockdown. No one cares about that. And if there's trouble on the beach in, oh, I don't know, if there's trouble at Scarborough in two years' time, they won't go, oh, beach goes. Oh, yeah, we know what they're like. But what they will do, they'll go, oh, football fans. Uh, we remembered you on the lockdown, those Liverpool fans. It blackens the name of every football fan. Yeah, I agree. It's stupid. I think the comparisons with, well, obviously Bournemouth Beach was around, as you said, the lockdown was basically over and then you've got the, the government's chief advisor just wading in and not losing his job for clearly flouting the rules. You've got a government that, well, the leader of this country standing in front of a bus telling peddling a lie. It's not like it's no wonder then that when messages come from command, people are more likely to flout it. Without a doubt. But, but Liverpool fans are held to higher standards and quite rightly so given our history. And it might be a minority, but we let ourselves down last week. Let's try and brighten this up slightly then. Let's go back to matters on the pitch. Um, and Liverpool are motoring towards a record points total, a record winning margin. So a simple question to get the debate flowing. Can this dominance continue? I think it can. It's, um, I, I think it's set up perfectly. And um, if, 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 if the club handle things right, if the, the players are... Uh, you know, are keen to stay. I think that the, the, there is a dynasty forming. I mean, one of the things is City are playing really well at the moment, and obviously they they are a side that will challenge. But if the two-year ban by UEFA from the Champions League is upheld, then they're going to have huge issues left, right, and centre. Uh, I mean. A large proportion of their income is going to dry up, so financial fair play will kick in. The players might want to stay. You know, it's a so City, who are the main dangers, are in trouble. Everyone else, if that's if the ban's upheld, which I expect it will be, everyone else is in an absolute mess. And the miles behind Liverpool, if they can keep this team together, then you know you would expect three of the next five titles to go to Anfield. Because they're so far ahead. Um, <laughs> I'm not so sure about the next five titles. I think um, it, it's interesting seeing what Guardiola said in the, in the last few days. And he said he's not he's not quite committing to being at City long term. And I think if Guardiola isn't at Manchester City, I think that does obviously uh, play into Liverpool's hands a little bit. Because Jürgen, Jürgen is someone who I thought potentially might win something at Liverpool and then not necessarily burn out, but if you look at what happened at Dortmund, it, it fell away a little bit. And the intensity of his management style, I I thought to myself, maybe um, Jürgen might win a major trophy, such as the Premier League, Champions League and leave Liverpool. Obviously, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. And it, it's fantastic news for Liverpool fans. Um, but if you think of the fact that Guardiola may not be at Manchester City in a couple of years. I think that would play massively into Liverpool's hands. Uh, and then you look at other teams, uh, Manchester United, lots of people talking about Manchester United being potentially with 
you know, competing and pushing next season. I, I don't see it in terms of being on that level of Manchester City and Liverpool. So, yes, if we can um, maintain what we're doing, uh, the current momentum and stuff, it looks good, very good for Liverpool. But things change in, in football very fast. You know, you, you go back to when Jürgen was appointed, Liverpool were nowhere at that point. And then all of a sudden it snowballed from there. So I'm more cautious. <laughs> I hope I hope Liverpool can. I think there's no reason why they can't go on to to equal the 20 titles of Manchester United, maybe potentially surpass that in the next in the next few years. Um, but you know, we will see. I think the coronavirus impacts upon things financially and may impact upon how the club go forward from there. There's a lot of talk about how you know Tim Vernon was potentially going to Liverpool at that time. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about how it may not be the case that he signed for Liverpool. He's gone to Chelsea, obviously, um, and it may 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 be something that Liverpool look at, you know, um, going forward. What we do in terms of our transfer targets, but you know, we've got a fantastic team, Liverpool, and um, everyone needs to to kind of follow Liverpool, catch Liverpool at this point. Superb stuff. Let's talk a bit about the main man. So Sunes, Evans, Ulier, Benitez, Hodgson, Dalgalith, Rogers, they've all tried and failed to deliver a Premier League title to Merseyside. So why has Liverpool and Klopp been the perfect marriage? Uh, and what what should Klopp do next? Well, I think, uh, I mean, obviously there, there are loads of reasons why uh, he, he's fitted in perfectly at Liverpool. I think the uh, from a an emotional perspective, he is very much in sympathy with the the you know the, the the political social mindset of the fan base, which which is brilliant, but of course it wouldn't matter if he's not successful on the field. And I think what he's done, and I don't think people have given him enough credit for what he's done. When he arrived, people talked about heavy metal football and the gag and press, and the you know there was a sense that he did the same thing all the time. You know he was you know he had his way of doing things. You know uh, press and fitness and all that. And what he's done is he's actually. He's actually changed things around. He's changed his perspective on the team. Uh, I, I don't think enough people have noticed that the reason they're so successful and people can't cope with them is because they play in a very, very untraditional way. They've effectively, they, they play, for want of a better phrase, without a midfield. They, they've, normally, you know, so throughout football history and throughout Liverpool history, there's a great sense of that midfields win games you know, you, you dominate that area of the pitch, you'll win games. Strikers have got to score, and that's really important. But the game's won in midfield. It was always the Liverpool way. You do that. And Klopp's sort of like, going, oh, the midfield's there now for balance rather than actually, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, what, we don't get enough goals from midfield. You know, and uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Keita has arrived. And when Keita arrived, he was there to play they, uh, to play a traditional midfield role, to get forward, to get on the end of the ball, uh, 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 to get on the ball on the edge of the box and to score goals. And uh, I feel a bit sorry for him because he's arrived and found the team plays completely different. They don't need midfielders, not in the traditional sense, because the two fullbacks do the job, they get forwards, and um, and the midfielders are there to protect them, to, to, to cover the, the um, to cover the defence, and and you know and people have not been able to cope cope with it. I see other teams flooding the midfield area when they're playing Liverpool, and they're like, you know, oh, we can dominate the midfield. Well, good luck, good luck, enjoy yourselves because it doesn't matter. That's not how you beat Liverpool, and um, and people haven't realised that. 
But Klopp has changed things. I mean, he, he, this is not the way he plays with Dortmund. This is not the way he plays with Mainz. And what he's done, he's seen. He's got you know, um, he's got he's got young Trent coming through, and he's a fantastic player. At first, he didn't fancy Andy Robertson, and then he's like, oh, hang on, he can play a little bit, and suddenly. He changes the focus of the way the team plays to suit them two, to suit two full-backs. And that's that's quite remarkable. I can't imagine any other manager doing that at this point in the game. And um, and so his flexibility and his, uh, you know, uh, basically he's looked at the, the plays he's got and how can how can I use these to the best advantage? And he's done it. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no thinking, there's no... There's no sort of he's not tied to any any philosophy for want of a better word. He's adapted, and his adaptability deserves massive praise. Yeah, but I, th- I think you know the team behind the team of Klopp deserve a bit of praise as well. And you've got uh, uh, Peter Kravitz, uh, uh, um, Pep Linders, Pep Linders, who who you know they they've foreseen this. They've kind of worked behind it. He's not sh- shy of acknowledging experts around him, Jurgen, which I think is is something important for a manager in in a modern era. And you know it's something that Liverpool kind of adapted beyond um, the the Kiev final and the Champions League where, you know, we were kind of like that high intensity pressing teams, really, you know, fantastic to watch. And we adapted and those guys behind the scenes are kind of, he credits them with that change in, in making us more defensively sound rather than being this team that just completely overwhelms sides. We've adapted, we change, we become more gritty. If you like, we've become this team that can maybe, um, grind you down, but we've got obviously got the quality as well in the side, and I think you know Jurg deserves massive credit for being this guy who recognises that that he recognises these experts around him. He doesn't just think he's the man who knows everything. He he sees you know he brought in the throwing coach and things like that. There's nutritionists. There's all sorts going on at Melwood where he he kind of takes on board this advice from these different experts and feeds it into his central message to the team. And I think it, it really pays off. And it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a recipe that's worked perfectly for Liverpool. You know, you only ever see it every now and then. It's like you go back to Manchester United in the early nineties and they got very fortunate with the, saying it as a, as a guy with a Liverpool background, but they got fortunate with the kind of U team that came through and all those players that came through, but Ferguson took that on in the right way. And I think Klopp takes things on in the right way. He doesn't do things uh, where he thinks it's just right. He takes on board advice from other people, mm. puts it into place and uh, is somebody who, who, you know, deserves massive praise, but also deflects it, looks to, looks to his backroom staff, looks to these people and says, you know, these deserve praise as well. And they won't get it in the, in the mass media, but he recognised it himself and he called himself the normal one, didn't he? And I think he is. He's a very normal guy. He, he, his part of his success is that he doesn't just think he's the man who knows everything. He he looks to the experts around him and then takes that decision based upon that. And uh, it's worked well for Liverpool, hasn't it? I think that's a really interesting point. Someone uh, inside the club described them to me as uh, described the way they were. It's it's like a cabinet with a, a very strong prime minister. He listens yeah. to to everyone and he lets everyone have their input and he'll make the ultimate decision. But yeah. everyone gets listened to. Another example was he was watching the uh, the World Cup in Russia, and he saw like he's, the the number of goals that were scored for set from set pieces. 
I'm like, right on the phone, right, we need to sort this out. We need to do proper coaching set pieces. We need to, you know, and, and suddenly the whole organization was galvanized to do this. And, you know, <laughs> and they scored a lot of goals from set pieces. Yeah, yeah, true. Including that goal from the corner by Trent into uh, Origi. Well, I mean, you know, that was, I, I think that was just a, a brilliant off the yeah. cuff thing. And, and, and you know what? Again, there are good sides and bad sides about this because, you know, you think of two big European games. And so you think of Trent, you know, off the cuff, doing things fast. They're encouraged as well to, 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 to do everything quickly, you know, to, to put pressure on opponents by, by doing it quickly and, and, and to think fast. And then you think back to Karius in, uh, in Kiev, who throws it up too quickly because he'd been encouraged <laughs> to do that. And it went wrong. Sometimes it's going to go wrong. Most of the time it goes right. But that was because he had a bang on her head. That was the party line, party line wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel a little bit sorry for him because I think uh, goalkeeping was what is one of the areas where it's um, where Liverpool struggled for a long time. But Klopp, you know, when when he come from Dortmund, he come to Anfield. At Dortmund in Mainz, he had goalkeepers, and he could kind of leave them to it. You know, leave them, them you know, just let them get on with it because they were. No, they were okay. They did the job, and he comes to Liverpool and found out he was in goalkeeping hell, and it took him a long while to to, to <laughs> get around. And you know, and and Allison, as much as Van Dyke was one of the the signature moments, you know, the the in changing things around, and and finally, um, and who'd have thought that after uh, you know, sort of how many years, eight years of Femway Sports Group, and you know, looking for value, who'd have thought spending big money for proven talent works? <laughs> Yeah, you've mentioned it already that no team is perfect. Um, and even this current Liverpool team has shown fallibility, uh, both in that bizarre 3-0 defeat to Watford in February um, and the Champions League exit to Atletico Madrid pre-lockdown. I just wondered what your guys' thoughts are on the cracks in the armour of this Liverpool team and where they could potentially be exploited going forward. I, I think it's a very strong team. I think I think obviously people point to midfield because it's seen as this workhorse thing. But as Tony was saying there, it's like, can we kind of miss out the midfield <laughs> to some extent? Um, I actually think when I look at that Atletico game, Liverpool battered Atletico in that match. You know, on another day, Liverpool win convincingly and progressed in the Champions League. And then you're looking at potential Premier League and Champions League double, you know. And, and a lot of people were saying to me, you know, um, whether that be other Liverpool fans or, or or fans of supporters of other clubs, they're saying to me, "Do you do you want to be invincible? Do you want to?" I wasn't so bothered about that Watford defeat that you mentioned. I was more keen to win more trophies as a, as a Liverpool fan. I wanted to see Liverpool potentially win the Premier League and European Cup because I felt it was you know within their capability that they could do that. Um, obviously, it didn't transpire that way, but. Um, I definitely thought Liverpool were capable of that at that time. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. It didn't happen. We haven't gone on and become invincible. I think it, you look back to the pre-lockdown, it feels like a long time ago to me now. Um, I look back and I think we did show signs of fatigue in a little bit. There were results Ooh. coming into that where I thought Liverpool weren't quite there. Obviously, we came back and Everton, the Everton game and stuff, but that Palace result showed, you know, Liverpool are still there and everything. And they may well go on and get that. That In terms of what you mentioned there, um, it's a strong team. It's a strong team with, with, a really, with a really good backing. It's hard to improve that 
that that team. Goalkeeper's brilliant. Defence is really strong. Even if there's an injury in defence, um, there's people you can bring in, potentially left back. But Millie fills in there. Um, I think midfield is the area, if, if I'm looking at it as a fan, if you like, um, is the area I'd like to, to improve. Uh, you want the backup, obviously, for the front three, but who comes in as a top-class striker, knowing they have to play second fiddle to the front three as good as that. Um, it, it's very tricky. It's obviously the Werner stuff, uh, where potentially Liverpool were... You know, at the head of ahead of the queue in terms of, uh, you know, buying buying Werner uh, ahead of Chelsea at that time, and, and then obviously the virus kicked in. There's a lot of talk about uh, the finances and how that maybe didn't come into play from there. But I think Liverpool, Origi, like you mentioned before with Barcelona, Origi turned up as a, as a backup striker. He has done a few times, but I do think you know if you look at areas to improve, you you potentially would want to get the striker in but it is a really good squad it's a really strong team it's hard to kind of look at areas that you'd say they would definitely improve the team at this point you know I think the only way you'd think in terms of changing things around for example the midfield is if people work out how to stop the way they play with the two full backs and then you've got to switch to a traditional midfield but then I think I think Klopp's got the players available to do that um, and uh, at, at the moment, uh, you know, people can't work out how to beat Liverpool. So uh, rather than talk about improving, I'd, I'd think of continue until people catch up and then try and adapt to it. But I, I, I do think there's there's enough there to for so that he could and that he will. And I think in you know, as you said, Paul, in this uh, coronavirus world. Um, no one's going to be running out and spending huge amounts of money off these two. It'll be, um, you know, so the, the, the logic of it is questionable. So, I, I mean, I think if they sit tight, at least for this short, close season that we're going to have, I think they'll be in a really good position. Um, if, if I was Klopp, and he won't do this, he really won't do this, but if I'm Klopp now, I treat, I treat last week, Thursday, as the end of the season. I treat everything from now on until September when the league comes back as pre-season. I slow everything down. I get every, everyone fit. I don't care whether we win or lose. I, you know, points tally, record goal, record points, record goals. Screw it. We've won the league. I just like, I just treat it. And everyone else has got something to play for. All, all your main competitors, you've got nothing to play for. Think about our next season. And you know what? They'll be they'll be running themselves in the, into the ground in City's case until August. And like, you know, for the next month, Liverpool can be doing a, a conventional pre-season when a conventional pre-season doesn't exist. You know, treat all the games as friendlies and then be ready for September. That's what I'd be doing. Can't imagine he'll do that. The competitive instincts will, will, will creep in. But yeah, I'd be like, we'll be ready in September. We'll see you then. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, what would you like to see towards the end of this season? Obviously, Liverpool have wrapped up the title. I mean, the records are nice, but... As as Tony said, you could put yourself in a fantastic position for next season if you kind of just taught this as a kind of a tinkering phase, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of wrote a piece for Eurosport after the Everton game, saying we don't we don't really care personally as a fan and the fans I speak to. You don't really care. Brilliant if you get records, great to target them and things like that. But you just want to win thirty years. You you effectively want to win thirty years without winning a league title. So when you when you do that. Brilliant celebrations, brilliant, great to do it. Um, 
I, yeah, I agree with Tony. You, you kind of want to just prepare for what's coming. You know, you don't want to just focus on trying to hit, you know, 101 points or whatever it may be. Uh, you want to just focus on sustaining that. Can we win it again next season? Can we move on? And that means blooding certain players, giving players a rest, things like that. I, I'm really, you know, keen for him to do that kind of thing. From what the players are saying, from things that have come out on the back of the title triumph, everyone seems really keen to kind of be the team, you know, the biggest points tally and things like that. I think, you know, it'd be brilliant to see Liverpool do that, but if it's just a title amongst two or three, or as Tony Tony's saying, dominate for the next five years, that's what you want to do. You don't want to just set this points tally and then fade away. You want to continue that from here. So, uh, I'm kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, brilliant to see them go and do uh, do more from this and win, you know, surpass points tallies by City. Because, you know, last last 18 months, last two years have been sensational for Liverpool. You know, forget the fact that City uh, attained that amount of points. Liverpool did as well. And they won the Champions League and then they've done it again this season. So it's fantastic what Liverpool achieved in two years. So if they can continue that, um, brilliant. And... Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, I personally, obviously, look beyond this current season, like Tony's saying, and go to go again next year. Brilliant stuff. I feel like we've really mapped out Liverpool's dynasty for the next maybe five years, as Tony says. Um, so, yeah, thanks, chaps, for, for joining us. Thanks, Tony, to you for pausing your life for joining. That's all. Pleasure. <laughs> a pleasure. Um, and thanks, obviously, to you as well, Paul. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Finally seeing the man behind the email. Yeah, brilliant. Great to see you, Ben. Good to talk, mate. Um, And of course, thanks to you at home for listening all the way to the glorious end. I'll sign off by pointing you in the direction of Tony's long read on Eurosport.co.uk. It really is worth a read and wish you all well. Liverpool are Premier League champions at last, and it could be the first title of many. Over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.